Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an Asian, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't black don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourself up. I told that five-story building, you're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control business and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 to 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside of their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries, <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station, and you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad mouthing you. And O'Reilly, they can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you gonna do? You can't respond. You can't communicate with your own people because you don't have a, you don't have an economic base. Fifty-one percent of all the prisons in the United States are black people. You know, you know, you only make up twelve percent of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, when they over-incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marches never change anything. If white immigrants can come to this country 50 years ago with nickels and dimes and no education and come here and pool their little nickels and dimes and no education, and, to, with, and set up little stores, develop these stores into larger stores, develop this into an industry, which creates job opportunities for whites. Since Lincoln was supposed to have freed the black man a hundred years ago, and today the black man, according to the government economist, has spending power of $20 billion per year. We feel that with the black man spending $20 billion a year, not setting up any businesses, not creating any industry, not creating any job opportunities for his own kind, he's not in a moral position.
to point the finger today at the white man and tell the white man that he's discriminating against him for not giving him a job in factories that he has he himself set up. If the black man has $20 billion, and these so-called Negro leaders are such geniuses that they can integrate white restaurants and integrate white factories and integrate, force themselves into that which the white man has set up, they should use this same ingenuity to show the black people how to pool our wealth and set up something of our own. And then we won't have to force our way into his anymore. One more thing I would like to point out concerning what he said about 125th Street. We don't waste our time on 125th Street, but you can reach more people in the street who want to change than you can in the bourgeoisie society, the bourgeoisie church, and the bourgeoisie circles. We, our program is directed toward the man in the street. So we spend our time in the street, and what we do with that man, instead of trying to change the white man in your mind and make, up, make you accept us, we change the mind of the black man and make him accept himself. And as soon as he accepts himself, He'll solve his own problem. He won't be trying to force himself into your factory and into your bedroom and into your kitchen.
Pretenders uh, with um, a song about, um, uh, I guess we can call it gentrification. Some people, I guess, in politics uh, that were back that call it making progress. Uh, the writer of that song, uh, who's the lead singer for the Pretenders, grew up in Akron, Ohio. I think she still has a home there. Lives between, uh, splits time between uh, Akron, Ohio. In uh, the UK, anyway, um, like like she said, the, the neighborhood that she grew up in in Akron, Ohio, got essentially gentrified. My city was gone, and we've been talking about for the last two weeks. Um, um, hmm, land reform. Let's put it under that blanket. Land reform, which might include gentrification, but uh, in different parts of the world, mostly in South Africa, heavily in South Africa. Um, and we also talked about uh, uh, what happened in Russia under land reform under Joseph Stalin, uh, Cambodia uh, under Pol Pot. Um, so it, 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 it's just not restricted to one particular area. Uh, today's podcast is titled, and we might touch on that a little bit later. Today's podcast is titled Assembly Line Production Teams, Assembly Line Production Teams, Area Code 619-768-2945 is our live stream number. We're going to um, go to that, but we're going to play something that we played the last couple of weeks uh, because right now in South Africa, um, I think Parliament passed a bill where they expropriation. Now, this is in regards to the the land that white farmers 
own a bill in Parliament in South Africa passed expropriation of that land um, without compensation. So uh, we're going to play something, um, a song about Nelson Mandela, but we're going to get to our main topic, assembly line production after this song.
Okay, um, that was uh, that song. You know what? That song was a hit in several countries around the United States. This is when uh, Nelson Mandela was still in prison, uh, but they, it, he was. They were building up global uh, momentum. That's the word. Momentum uh, that he get out and part time get abolished. But when that this song was free Nelson Mandela was uh, first released, it was. Um, it was a global hit. For some reason, it did not chart in the United States of America. It was a hit in various countries around the world, but it, it for whatever reason, uh, it did it didn't even chart in the United States of America. We'll go in, in, into the history of that one day. All right, today's podcast is titled Assembly Line Production Team. Assembly line production team, very cool. Uh, six, uh, live stream number 619-768-2945. I had an interesting and enlightening advanced college education conversation with Pleasant Stephens on Friday, which changed my outlook on how I look at things, <laughs> particularly when it comes to commerce here in the United States of America. And um, I guess the operative word in that conversation was assembly. So today's podcast is assembly line production. Um, next month, we'll be opening, well, we'll be like doing two things at once, almost three things at once. We'll be opening up our first school, one one-room schoolhouse. But at the same time, we got to build the place. Okay, so the actual building, building of it or assembling of it will be the first class. So uh, I'm going to play, I'm going to play two, um, two audios I've played on here before. Um, and always uh, uh, and just be patient, listen to it, listen to him, and we're going to show you how this translates. Matter of fact, we're going to actually, you know what? There's three audios I need to play. You've heard them all three times, but we're going to take, we're going to break down each one of them around this word assembly, which, which, like I say, our first class will be actually to build the structure that we're going to. Anyway, you'll see how it goes all through the slide. All right, let me play the first one now. People who live in towns and cities in Uganda and many other African countries have some access to grid electricity to light their homes and power their businesses. But many rural people aren't connected at all. But simply waiting for the grid to arrive isn't good enough for entrepreneurs like Moses Akera. He recognizes there's a good business to be made harnessing the power of the sun. 
I really prefer solar to be used in the community like this because so it remains the property of the clients. You don't pay bills and you don't buy fuel like somebody using generator. So solar energy is the best option for many rural Ugandans. But being new to the industry, many solar retailers like Moses were struggling to make their businesses a success. We don't have capacity uh, to advertise ourselves, our products. We don't have capacity uh, to have quality technical training. So the Rural Energy Foundation, a not-for-profit organization, introduced the Solar Now program in 2007. Its aim, to spread the benefits of electricity throughout rural Africa by providing training and support to existing solar retailers like Moses. And they encourage other retailers and entrepreneurs to start selling solar equipment from scratch. Most of these retailers need to be supported in terms of training so that they can be able to run their businesses better. They also need support in terms of market awareness because so many people out here in the field do not know about solar, so we need to come and enlighten them. As well as training, the Rural Energy Foundation loans retailers portable demonstration kits, which they use to drum up business in local markets. What we're trying to do is these people are off-grid and they do not have access to electricity. So we're trying to show them how solar can improve their lives. For instance, we try to show them how they can make money from solar. For instance, here with us we have a shaver, so they can use this to have barber shops. We also show them how they can use it to use light at their homes. See, when you have this light in your house, the children can study at night. They can use it in their shops to work longer hours, and they can use it at home. If retailers want to use the Solar Now brand, they have to commit to providing high-quality installations and good after-sales service. The Rural Energy Foundation helps them achieve this by training solar technicians. We're trying to get the entrepreneurs to sign service contracts. So when they sell the product, they, it also comes with after-sale service. Let's say they have to check uh, to make a phone call to the customer after a certain period to check if the system is working. And then uh, till after some time through the service contract, they also have to go and actually do the inspection of the system. The Rural Energy Foundation has trained over 200 retailers in nine African countries. So far, they've sold 57,000 solar home systems and 36,000 solar lanterns. They've helped at least 400,000 people, saved nearly 5 million litres of kerosene and 12,000 tonnes of CO2 each year. Basil Okelo is impressed and has decided to buy the equipment from Moses to set up his own solar barbershop and phone charging business. He's taking advantage of a credit scheme which helps entrepreneurs buy equipment from SolarNow retailers to get their businesses going. SolarNow is giving me a loan. I'm going to make a down payment of 25% now. Uh, later, in three months' time, I'll make another 25%, making a total of 50%. Then the remaining I'll complete within a period of a year. With his system now installed, Basil is optimistic about the future. Because this is a new investment I'm going into. I have never been into this business before. But uh, as I see, I have the expectation that I, I'll, make, I'll make money. Moses is growing his solar retail business too. He already had a shop in town, 
With support from the Rural Energy Foundation, he's now set up a small village branch to cater specifically for his rural customers. Rural Energy Foundation is very important to us. If the help us training technician, we shall be in position to expand all over. We hope that others will also adopt the private sector development approach. We don't want to be unique. We want to spread the word that this is a really efficient approach to get the technology diffused deeply into the rural markets. The Rural Energy Foundation plans to expand into other African countries and broaden its range of sustainable technologies. Solar panels are now becoming a common sight here on homes and shops buy them as well to run radios and offer phone charging, increasing their income and enabling people to communicate. And to everyone's delight, the local bar has installed a fridge powered by the sun. The owner is pleased with his investment. Yeah, we are happy because it's cold, the uh, beer tastes better, and so I get more customers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, that was, um, the name of that organization is the World Energy Foundation, uh, started up in Uganda, and um, I think they in Uganda and uh, Tanzania, but uh, I had one of the people in that uh, audio you just heard, Julius Magala, he's in Uganda, he, he was on here, we interviewed him. Uh, we have in our, in our archives uh, a couple years ago. Yeah, a couple years ago, we interviewed him, um, and he was talking about basically the renewable energy and uh, the solar lifestyle, and basically how you can lead an energy efficient lifestyle. How they live in Uganda, where they can essentially have low, or practically no utility bills. So he, he was on here a couple of years ago. We like, so we had that recorded live. Um, the World Energy Foundation is now, um, now they've changed their name to Solar Now, which is one word, Solar Now. And uh, once again, still in Uganda and um, Tanzania. It might be in a couple other countries. But they have... Um, probably the best business model I've seen where solar can be or is affordable to the average person. Now, the average person that they sell to is a person that lives in rural Africa. All right, so um, and I got to make a trip over there. As a matter of fact, I met Julius uh, last year. I met him last was it uh, last September in Washington, D.C.? He was in the United States for, for a couple, about two, two, two or three months. Anyway, I met him in D.C., so uh, I need to make a trip over there because I want to see what these people do up close because I haven't seen anybody. The closest I saw to what they do in Uganda and Tanzania, it, they have a model, I believe, that can be global their business model, but would be some people I went to see in West Virginia. Um, and one of the things we'll, we have to do, and I guess we'll have to train some people on that, is essentially some distinctions. 
um, what's the distinction between uh, assembly, look, building, assembly, and installation? They, those words, there's distinctions with those words. So anyway, pleasant uh, and to really appreciate what the Rural Energy Foundation does, the Solar Now does, because they they make they produce their own solar home system. That's what they're called, solar home systems. And they assemble those things. And um, you have some other companies that do it in India, but um, and then there's another outfit called the Barefoot College, um, but they get on more of the, the manufacturing stuff. But anyway, so I'm going to bring on um, Pleasant to break down assembly, what things are assembled. And like I said, having a conversation with him Friday, I think it was Friday. Anyway, because um, there's a couple other videos. I could play, but I've been played on here a gazillion times because essentially what we'll be doing is uh, two functions. Um, Building and assembling. There's a third thing called installation, but today we just want to touch on assembling. What things are assembled and then how anybody can assemble, just pick your pick your product or whatever. And and um and then once you find something that you can assemble, you know, do it. We did a podcast last week. Do it eight thousand times. Do it eight thousand times. You'll be good. So seven seven three, your mic is open. Good morning, Pleasant. I thought he was there. Okay, wait a minute. He might be busy doing something. His lights on. So I tell you what, we're going to put him on back on hold, and I'm going to play. Oh, like I said, one of the things we have to do next month is we have to open a. Uh, one room school, the first one, because our cookie cutter is essentially one room schoolhouse. Not just one, but start off with one and keep on doing it. So I'm gonna play this this audio that I played several times because it's called Solar Cabin. But what we're gonna do is essentially break that down, where we can build component parts of what we're going to do, like build the walls in minutes. How many minutes will it take to build the wall? How many minutes will it take to build the floor? So when we play this this audio on Solar Cabin, we, we're organizing where we can assemble that in a matter of minutes. Hi, folks. In this video, I'd like to talk about how to have a home with no house payments, and no monthly utility bills. You may think that's not possible, but I do it, and lots of other people do it as well. I'm going to show you how it can be done, how it can be done very inexpensively, and just 
kind of a, give you some ideas for things that you can do that uh, society and uh, the economic powers that be don't want you to know. So stay with me for a second and let me walk you through this. First, you need some land. This is my piece of land which is under an acre, about three-fourths of an acre. And that's really all you need to take care of most of the needs you have and for running a small homestead. Now I was lucky enough to get this piece of property uh, from family. It was uh, willed to me when my father passed away. But I have also purchased small pieces of property like this for under $400. I have an acre down in uh, Arizona near Sholo, Arizona that I purchased for under $400. I have five acres near El Paso, Texas that I purchased for under $700. So it's very easy to find a piece of land if you do some looking around. eBay is a good source for finding land. Tax sales are a good source for finding land. Uh, family members may want to sell off a piece of land. Go around looking in rural areas and maybe you'll find a farmer that wants to split off a small piece of land and would gladly sell you one. You don't have to spend a lot of money on land. Okay, This is land that doesn't have utilities run to it. Uh, it doesn't have a blacktop road that runs into it or driveway. It's rough land. That's what you start with usually if you want to buy a small piece of land that you're going to homestead on. After you have your piece of land, then you're going to have to have a house. You can have a big house like most people live in, and you can pay a lot of money for it and have a mortgage and be a slave to the system for another 30 years, or you can decide if you'd like to build a smaller house like mine. Paid for with cash. This is my solar cabin. The cabin cost me $2,000 to build. That does not include the doors and windows which I salvaged off of a trailer that was being torn down. For the cabin, it cost me $2,000. It is 14 by 14. Downstairs is living area, dining area, bathroom, kitchen. Upstairs, I have a loft bedroom and an office. In my other videos, I take you on a complete walkthrough of this cabin, so watch those if you want to see how the cabin is uh, as large as it is and functional on the inside. Up there on my roof, you see my solar panels. That's a 350-watt solar system that provides all of my electricity needs for lights, TVs, water pumps, all miscellaneous gadget, laptop TV, run my vacuum, and everything else off of a 350-watt system. That 350-watt system cost me under $3,000. $2,000 for the cabin, $3,000 for the power system of solar electricity, and I use propane. I have a propane tank in the back of the cabin, and I have a propane furnace, fridge, stove, and on-demand water heater, and those cost me just about $200 for an entire year. And we have cold winters here, folks under $200 for an entire year for all of my propane. That is the only utility bill I have. I do not pay for electricity. I do not pay for water because I drilled my own water well. Before I drilled my own water well, though, I hauled water in. But drilling a water well on a piece of property is not that hard. You can either do it yourself or hire somebody to do it. So I have no monthly utility bills. I have a house that's completely paid for, and I have freedom. A freedom that you can't get when you're under the pressure of a mortgage and utility bills. I want you to take just a minute and think about what you could do with your life if you had no house payments, 
and no utility bills. And I'm telling you, it is completely possible. I'm not going to go into any details of how to get out of the house that you're in. You're going to have to figure that out and talk to some professionals for some help that way. All I'm here to do is tell you it's completely possible. Now, some of you are looking at the cabin and saying, yeah, but I couldn't possibly live in anything that small. This cabin was designed specifically for additions to be built on any of three sides. As you can see, the cabin has no windows on any of the three sides. There is a window on the back door glass. The sides are 14 by 14. The cabin was built to have uh, shed additions built on all three sides. This cabin is 400 square feet approximately inside with 200 square foot footprint. When you add on additions, you could add on an additional 400 square feet on either side and off the back, giving you anywhere from 800 to 1,200 square feet. The great thing about building a small cabin to start out with, though, is it gives you a place to live when you build on your additions. And that way you can wait and live very cheaply without any house payments or utility bills. And then when you have the money, you can build on the additions to expand the cabin. That's very good for a single person or a young couple who don't have children because you don't need a whole lot of space to start off with. This way you can save for it, build on as you want to, have the additions, uh, have the extra room if that's what you want. Now I live full time in this cabin. I live by myself, but my girlfriend comes up here on the weekends and we stay together. And let me tell you, it's perfectly comfortable. We don't feel cramped at all. And we, we'd much rather have a small place like this. It takes a lot less money to heat. It takes a lot less money to cool. It's a lot easier to clean. Uh, it's just a, a fantastic home. Now, I'm not trying to push you into building a home exactly like mine. I'm just trying to provide you with some ideas. If you wanted to come up with different ideas, a different plan, that's, that's just fine by me. But if you are interested in learning how to build a home like mine, I do have an ebook available and a printed book available called Simple Solar Homesteading. Go to www.simplesolarhomesteading.com. You can learn how to build a cabin like mine or at least get some great ideas for building your own home. Now I want to repeat. I own my land. I have a house that I built for under $2,000. I have a solar electric system that I have for under $3,000. I use propane which costs me under $200 a year. I have no house payments. I have no utility bills. If you want a life like this, it is very possible. You can stop listening to the media, and you can stop being put under society's pressures to live in the type of houses that everyone tells you you have to live in. You can live very inexpensively, and you can do this at, an age, at any age, whether you're older or younger. If you're younger and you start in a place like this, imagine the amount of money that you would have to retire on with no house payments, no utility bills, and freedom. Thank you for joining me, folks. Please watch the rest of my videos for more detailed information on each of the systems and a complete walkthrough of the cabin. Okay. Um, so, essentially, we won't be building nothing as big. It'll be smaller than what this guy just explained. I broke down. Um because I'm doing it without partners, essentially. Um, and what I want the school to do, and um, it, the type of school uh, that we have, it, it's um, called a Porkademy, P-A-R-G-C-A-D-E-M-Y, Porkademy. Not an academy but a academy. Most academies 
focusing their schools are focusing on academics. Academics typically you come if it's passive for the most part. You know, academic uh, education you come in and uh, you sit down, you listen to a talking head, do a lecture, scribble some stuff on a board, um, you read books, uh, you take quizzes, you take tests, but, you know, you do homework um, based on the grades you get. You pass or you don't pass. That's academic education. Nothing wrong with that. That That's a particular niche. However, I think academic education is impractical uh, or incomplete. So my philosophy is something more pragmatic. So that's why we have pra- we, our core curriculum is based on pragademics, not academics. In other words, you're not sitting in the classroom, you're not listening to a lecture, you don't have to do any homework as far as reading books. Um, your test and quiz come from real life what I call real-life math problems. For instance, some people, well, for the people that you're paying rent, you're behind on rent, you're facing eviction, you're facing foreclosure, that's a real-life math problem. Your mortgage is $200,000. You know what? Hold it. Let me give you what I'm working on right now. (laughs) Okay. My mother who was debt-free, for some reason, got into a reverse mortgage. Didn't need it. They got a real nice retirement income, debt-free. But I guess being lonely and listening to these ever-ending um, commercials that come on TV around the clock on reverse mortgages, she called up, the reverse mortgage people came out, and she signed off. Don't, don't know. Don't know where the mortgage papers are to this day. The reverse mortgage people, and went from debt free to over a hundred thousand dollars in debt, which is now one hundred and sixty thousand dollars in debt. Since she can't work anymore, I have. She's still living. I have a math problem. Okay, how do you extinguish? A hundred and sixty thousand dollar debt without working a nine to five job and without borrowing not a penny's worth of money. How do you do that? All right. That's a real life math problem I'm working on. All right. So I because there's no book written on what I'm the math problem I'm dealing with. All right. So that that the, the Procademy, Jake Rector, we had two schools. Jake Rector Energy Procademy, um and Earthwealth Energy Procademy, basically we're setting up the one room schoolhouse. And my cookie cutter is this. I I'll simplify for this podcast. A simple, you know what? 
open up several schools. But let, let's just take one. Open up one school to start uh, where we're headquartered out in Taft, Oklahoma, and then help, uh, let's say, 200 people become homeowners by showing them how to build their own house with no bank finance. In other words, teach them what you just heard. Them. If I do that 200 times, earn more than enough money to extinguish her reverse mortgage note, uh, note mortgage, get her back to zero, and get her back clean and clear again. That's what I came up with. So um, part one of the test, you can call it a quiz, I had to get land. So I was successful at doing that a few a couple of times already in Oklahoma and other places as well. So I was successful at that. Now, my next step, all right, now one of the next steps is um, assembling the building. How quick can we assemble these buildings? Now, after uh, speaking of Pleasant last Friday, now I went looking for people that were, like, good at And a lot of people can put together these buildings, like, in a day by themselves. Okay. So typically, you know, not including the foundation, a person can put together one of the, you know, the size building we're looking at in a day. Some might do it in a week. You know, some people drag it out for a week. That's usually solo jobs. But I ran across a guy, his method of assembly, um, he does anywhere from 50000 to 60000 a year. All right. So our goal is to do one to six within a year. Starting off with one. So we had to break it down to component parts. How long would it take us to assemble? Because we're talking about something that's like no more than 180 square feet. Tops. All right. How long would it take us how many minutes would it take us to assemble the walls? How you know the walls of the four walls, you know, including doors, windows. How long will it take us to assemble the floor? You know, how long will it take us to assemble the roof? Because um, we're doing like real simple structures. Um, play the nine friends tape, but I'm not going to play that because you guys can hear it because every time I'm going to see a pleasant Stephens has got back here. Pleasant, are you there? Like his lights on, but he might be busy with somebody. Okay, all right. So I'll turn his mic back off. But essentially, that we'll be teaching from that. Like I said, we'll be teaching people essentially, um, particularly people that might need emergency shelter, or you might want to. You, you don't have any type of emergency. You're not homeless or nothing like that. You might want something that you can put up. That's affordable to you without bank financing uh, on your own land. So we're we're those are the things that they will be doing. We'll be taking people on field trips, uh, you know, land, the correct zone land, uh, how to get the you know if you need any permits, how to get that, um, and then assembling the building 
Um, and that's why I was waiting for President to come on his life on, but on how to uh, to get that all assembled. Matter of fact, and how he he picked it up himself. I'm gonna play. Um, you know, I'm gonna go. All right, this one clip on South Africa, uh, and hopefully by the end of that, President will be back on. But anyway, let's play this, and we'll come back. While I've been in South Africa, I've heard a number of heartbreaking stories, but there is one that struck me on a very personal level. I met Janine on my journey through the Karoo, where I've been listening to some horrific accounts of murder, rape, and robbery. Like many other white farming families, Janine's was torn apart in one of South Africa's daily farm attacks. I sat down to hear her story firsthand. We, we are now third generation on this farm, <laughs> third generation. My grandfather farmed here um, until he died of a heart attack. And then my dad inherited this portion and his brother inherited the top farm, which my dad eventually over the years bought back. So it's been in the family for more than 100 years. I grew up here, um, myself and my three siblings grew up here, went to school in Hrothnet, which I'm sure you came to, and then went to study in Cape Town. And yeah, it was always our dream to come back. And it was always the intention to come back, not under these circumstances though. My dad was living alone. My mum was in an Alzheimer's home. So this is quite hard. Because we were so safe here, there was actually no handle on the back door. It was always open. And um, this security gate was right here. So my dad heard the knock on the door, opened the door, was shot in the stomach. Managed to get to the phone. Yeah. Phone my aunt. Said I've been shot in the stomach. Put the phone down. Phone our neighbour. And while he was... He said to Jeremy, I've been shot. And while he was on the phone to Jeremy, Jeremy heard the shots. Just kept going. And there was one shot that Rick showed against that wall. All the time my dad's being shot. Back, arms, legs. And my dad slumped over this chair. Slumped forward over this chair. And he was shot in the back of the head here. Just execution style in the back of the head. So it was eight. They found eight cartridges. But six. He was shot six times. So this is where my dad died. He was killed. Okay. I know, for what, you know, for what, he was a good man. He was an awesome man. And to shoot somebody six times, execution to start. Can I take a breather, please? You think it gets easier than it never does, unfortunately. My dad was, and knew he would back me up and everybody would back me up, but my dad was the most loving person. He would literally give you the shirt of his back to help you. There were so many farmers and Louis knows that were battling, that my dad would say, yeah, use my back end to be on your feet. Do that. And to hold blood and needles All they took um, about 20,000 rand in the safe. They took that, helped themselves to food and fridge, and then 
hit the road. especially remarkable, nor is it out of the ordinary. What is remarkable is her resilience. Like many of her people, Janine has returned to the farm where her father was killed to rebuild her life in the face of unspeakable horror. He's killed two people. He's destroyed two families. And he's got 15 years. With these 15 years, he can sit for six six years and he'll come back. And he'll he'll probably come and kill us or kill another farm because he knows how easy it is that he's got away with it. So justice hasn't been served yet. These kind of attacks are not uncommon in South Africa. In fact, the statistics show a white farming family is attacked every single day. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. And they're targeting the vulnerable. You know, the... 65 plus. That's who they're targeting. And it is just going to get worse. And then the farmers are going to leave. They're going to have no choice but to leave. Are the government doing anything about this? No. Nothing. The government have, have done nothing. I haven't heard from a government official. Not once. Not at all. No phone call, nothing. So what the intention is remains a mystery to us. Janine and other families like hers have told me they are not convinced these brutal attacks are just random acts, but that the South African government may very well be complicit in allowing them to happen as they continue their political agenda to drive out white farmers and take their land. With overwhelming agreement, Unanimous agreement has resolved that the expropriation of land without compensation should be amongst the mechanisms available to government to give effect to land reform and redistribution. That is what is important. While watching the crime rate skyrocket against white farmers and the government's rhetoric get more radical, I can only help but wonder how much worse is this going to get in the coming years. Hey guys, this video is just one of the many stories I want to show you from my trip here in South Africa. In fact, when I get back, I plan on working on a longer form documentary about the entire trip. If you'd like to find out more about how you can support that project and other stories being told like this one, or if you'd like to find out about the people in the stories and how you can support them and the farmers of South Africa, please check out the links in the description below. And of course, a big thank you to everyone who has been supporting this trip and been super encouraging to me and this channel. It means the world to me. I'll see you next time. say some shit to y'all that uh, I seen yesterday that made me smile but it hurt me to my heart.
there's a house next door to me that's been abandoned and uh the yard the grass high as hell and everything there's a couple of abandoned cars out there beside the house well yesterday i get off work about seven o'clock a mexican guy pulled up he said these your cars i said no he said i just bought this house man i said all right that's what's up he was like you know whose cars these is he said no he said well i bought the house not the cars Okay, I'm like, cool. I'm thinking he's just coming to look at the house. I go back in the house, do a little straighten up. I swear to God, I walk back at the house. Now, I'm getting off about 7.20. It's fucking nine Mexican trucks just pull up. They got fucking beer, lights, and shit, right? So I'm like, what y'all finna do? He said, we finna fix this house. I said, what kind of crew you got working after 7 o'clock? He said, these my friends. The fucking house is fixed this morning. They went in there and drywalled that fucking house. Wow. I just left out of there. It was a fucking abandoned house. That bitch looked new this Morning. Whew. It was an abandoned fucking house. And it looked new this morning. It's an old African proverb. Many hands make light work. I just don't think they're better than us. I just think we won't do nothing together wow you're not hearing what the fuck I'm saying it was an abandoned house yesterday at 7 fucking 15 that bitch is new this morning he bought a tax lien house I can't wait to see what they do I can't wait to see is one family gonna live in there is they gonna I'm going to get to know the motherfuckers. You best believe me when I make some money, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring us together. And I'm not fucking with a lot of people. Okay, I had to play that when I didn't anticipate. But it does go with our assembly line production theme uh, for today. Um, and let me, uh, cause I had to switch to a computer, but anyway, um, so I'm on a smartphone and a, and a laptop right now. Um, uh, now the, the South African, I didn't plan on playing that today, but I'm, let me incorporate all this into the assembly line thing. The, it, it's talking about human nature. I don't know. It's interwoven in our DNA some kind of way. That we don't, and it's just not South Africa, because what's going on in South Africa is nothing new. It it's more. It has morphed out, land grabs have, has morphed out in many ways between private individuals and government entities throughout the ages. Matter of fact, you may as well say land grabbing is as old as man itself. 
you know, South Africa is going on right now, and it's going on in two ways, politically, and then you got thugs that are just coming up and killing people. As you heard in the, you heard the daughter of somebody who probably got killed recently in South Africa. However, it's happening in, under Joseph Stalin. It happened under him. It's happening in the United States. It's still on witch trials. Uh, my interpretation of Emmett Till was basically a land grab. Um, Black Walls got his countless of stories to every culture or whatever. And it, it what what's amazing? And let me let me give out some the let's lift this up to the abundance of planet Earth and the small and the smallness of man's thinking in general, because it's not a race thing at all. It's a mindset. But let's go through the abundance at hand. With over 7 billion people on planet Earth, approaching 8 billion people, and we have to share the resources with other living creatures on planet Earth. With that said, on planet Earth right now, 99% of the living beings, plants, animals, insects, man, on planet Earth, 99% of the creatures or the living beings that are on planet Earth right now, 99% of these living beings live in the water. That's how abundant this, this planet is. 99% of the, what's living on planet Earth lives in the ponds, the oceans, the streams, the oceans, the seas of the world. The land mass, because this planet is mostly water, about 75% water. When it comes to the land mass of planet Earth, man, almost 8 billion people live on less than 1% of the available land mass. There's a hell of a lot of land out there that man has not touched. Let's do a little history lesson. Let's go back to the days of Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan uh, from Mongolia he was, I guess we call him a conqueror. Genghis Khan, as well as every so-called great conqueror, the amount of land that was that had no human presence then was greater than what it is now. He only he and every great they only attack places where there's somebody already there. 
And if you go online and look how far the, the Mongolian uh, uh, Empire was, you know, big, you know, how big it expanded under him. But they, you know, they would go in and raise the town. Or give them an ultimatum. If you don't do this, then we'll raise it. Just burn it down, rape your women, take your shit, take your goats, pigs, all that. So, same thing in South Africa. It's it, it, the amount of available land, cause I, I, and I don't understand it. They're, now, I understand the history of, you know, people took your shit. You know, I understand that part of the history is some of your your chieftains way back when sold land, too. Matter of fact, I was telling a friend of mine, I said, look, Inheritance theft. The same shit that happens in probate court and when families fighting, doing infighting today, you know, families stealing land from other family members through various reasons. It's called inheritance theft. I've done a, a couple of podcasts on it. It's time to bring it back. The same way that brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles inheritance today it's the same shit that's been happening from day one on planet earth people for some reason man wants to take somebody else's shit. if you wanted to take a man thou shalt not cover so it's mind boggling to me well when you got a, like you take in, in South Africa right now you have two political actually you got Three political parties, ANC, I mean, more than that, but three, I mean, African National Congress, ANC, you got the one that's headed up by Julius Lima, um, Economic Freedom Fighters, ESM, and then you got Black Man First. Okay. Now, they've, they've organized, they've gotten back for financial backing, they got this, they funded the, the passing of this law where, you know, ex- Expropriation, which is essentially taking of land from private individuals and giving it to other people. Lalima wants to give it to the government of South Africa. That's what he wants to do. But taking this, like I, I get the history, I get the story you're selling to get this shit passed through. But what's mind-boggling to me, there's enough land in South Africa right now that anybody who's listening to this podcast can go. They can get to buy. They can get together and buy thousands of hectares now, and develop their own land, and not touch anybody else. I I don't get it. In the United States, and I I, I repeated these. I'm gonna repeat these stats again. We have over 314 million people in the United States and counting. 75% of that figure essentially lives on only 3% of the available land mass in the United States. Where the action is in the United States is in rural areas. There's even frontier areas in the United States in 2018, believe it or not. 
But people are in landlord-tenant court right now and various other courts fighting over inheritances, fighting to get the landlord's land, trying to get... I mean, it's mind-boggling with the uh, abundance of land. True, they're not making any more of it. But it's mind-boggling with the abundance of land that's out here globally that can be picked up on the super, 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 super duper cheap. I don't understand it. it like, that's what I'm saying. It's got to be something interwoven in our DNA where if I see something that you have, I want it. That, we're going back to the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. So the guy who's got ten wives, but, oh, wait a minute, he's got to have your wife. Or you've got, Genghis Khan's got access to all this land. You have to look at, at the time of, when he was operating, because Mongolia, the borders of Mongolia were bigger then, and even today, Mongolia is nice size. And the amount of land that's available in eastern Russia, because East Russia is in two continents. It, it, the east side of it's in uh, uh, Europe, but the the vast majority of Russia is in Asia. So back during this time, I, it's just mind-boggling. What? Some, you know, if I two dogs, if one has a bone and the other one doesn't have a bone, the other one might try to bully the bone away. It's something I don't know what it is. I do not know what it is, but anyway, um, let's see if Pleasant Stephens is available so we can get into the breakdown of the similar. But here's what I'm saying. Oh, oh before I go to Pleasant on this. Don't get attached to any one particular spot, okay? The houses that we're going to be building or the structures that we're going to be building will be portable. They're going to be small because they'll be, in other words, you'll be able to lift them up on a flatbed or into a pod and then move to another location well, you'll be left alone. Sometimes it's individuals that will try to take your house. Sometimes it's the government. So if your house is physically attached to land, it's called real estate. Now, I, I, I really don't see any upside to owning real estate because the government's got its grips in it. However, if it's if it's not permanently attached to land, it's truly your house. So you don't own real estate outright. You might have an equitable right with your name on a deed. You can live in it. You can sell it. You know, you know all that. But you really don't own it. Real estate. So we, we break that down. We're, gonna, we're not going to break it down. We'll, we'll do that probably by the end of the week. But if you like, if you got a trailer or a tiny house on wheels, or we're, we're going to do ours on skids, it'll be that, that's why we're doing small. 
It'll be because we're not in love with any one location. That's one of the things we'll be teaching. And that's where we're going to get into the assembly. You know, you can, matter of fact, there are people out here that are homeless right now. One of the classes will be teaching how you can assemble your home in a matter of minutes or within a day, actually a few hours. But anyway, it's, and we'll get into that another day, and we'll have plenty of podcasts and webinars and in-person workshops on this starting next month. But I, like since Friday, I had a conversation with Pleasant Stephens that, like, oh, you taught me something that was, like, in plain sight. And hopefully I'm going to have them go through it again because that's what we'll be doing. We'll be assembling houses in, the, in, 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 let's say, an hour or two, less than four hours. Because that, like I said, after I talked to him, I, I looked up a guy. This guy assembles and sells anywhere from 50,000 to 60,000 building structures a year. Now, he does it because he's got an assembly line system. He uses man and machines. I don't have, to, I don't have machine money yet, so I'm going to have to organize teams. In other words, you put a team together, you know, how, how quick can we assemble the walls? Walls, because there's four walls to the house, including the doors and the windows. How fast can we assemble the roof? How fast can we assemble the floors and foundation systems? All right. Um, but anyway, let me let me get to Pleasant. I think he's back now. Uh, Pleasant, are you there? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, you you well, you you just hit you hitting good points there. We spoke to a young man that's coming on. He's in a meeting now, but he called me this morning. He used to work out of my office. And he bought a building down the street from me, and uh, uh, his name is Peter, Doctor Peter. He's a he's a teacher, and and uh, he's just he, he's from Africa, and he wants to know about the solar energy stuff. And I was telling him to come on the line today. We better explain it to him, because I was off I was offline here for a few minutes talking to him. Oh, okay, all right. Well, let, let's go back to what we were talking about uh, Friday. Um, you know, the, the the assembling, well, you know, Detroit, well, like I said, a lot of people, Detroit does, let, let's say um, Ford Motor Company, General Motors, Chrysler. A lot of yeah. these people, the average person, including me until we had the conversation, they look at... Um, of those companies as building cars. Um, manufacturing. That's what look they think that that's what's going on, but it's not. They're not break it down for us. Break it down for well, us. Now well let's start with the kitchen. Let's start where you eat. Let's start with the clothes you put on your back. Let's start with the clothes you put on your back and say that you want a shirt, blouse or whatever it is. Well when you when you you then cut it out, and when you cut it out, you have to sew it together. And after sewing it together, that's all one piece now. After sewing it right. together, you got to put the buttons on. Now the buttons are actually made someplace else. You're not making the buttons; 
you are attaching the buttons to the product that you have just designed. Right. So that's an assembly in your kitchen. The way you eat your breakfast every morning is an assembly, and the assembly of your of your food is a plate, fork, knife, whatever it is that you're putting on the plate so you can consume it is an assembly process. To where I never thought about it that way, but you're right. Yeah, it's an assembly process because now you've got the egg. Well, I didn't include the, the uh, oils that you put in the skillet or the skillet that you cook it in. So all of that takes place and the fire that you got on your stove to, to cook the food, all of it comes together for a finished product. It's an assembly. Not you didn't manufacture the food. You assemble the food. You assemble the ingredients of the food that you, that you consume to fill your stomach. That's the bottom line. That's about as far down as I, I can break it up. But then you add the other parts to it if you are doing something different. If you want to put some flowers on your plate, so that's another part of the assembly. So we've been taught wrong. Our educational system has dumbed us down because our parents and our co-parents before slavery have done this for thousands of years. We've got the people that's in, in, in these in these states like now that you just stated. They are fussing and fighting over weaving hair. They have passed a law where people have to go to school and spend $1,500, $2,000 to braid hair. It's ridiculous. It is totally ridiculous because that hair braiding actually came from Africa. They was braiding hair when they stole it and brought us over here. And uh, now people have found a way to make a living out of braiding hair. Now you want to charge them up. Now you want to charge them a fee, supposedly going to school, something you've been knowing how to do from, from generation after generation. And then you want to charge another fee for getting a license to do so. And then the assembly of that process comes through the oils that you put on the hair. What about the babies that you are nursing? The next thing they'll be telling them is that you've got to have a, a license to nurse, nurse, your, nurse your baby. This country is crazy. But as you stated, we have to do what, we are, what we've talked about so many times. We have to find a rural area and build our own cities, become a independent nation of people that's doing business with others so that others, so that we as a people, can have our own industry. And every one of the things that we talk about is an industry, not manufacturing, because everybody plays a part in production. And that part is assembled by us uh, building cabins and homes for hundreds of years. I was born in a log cabin in Arkansas, and the log mm-hmm. cabin didn't eat nails in it. Because it was grooved out to where everything was overlapping, and the house was there till we tore it down and built a new house with nails, boards, plank. And I heard you say something about a wall a few moments ago. Uh, 
their wall, their walls assembled every day right in front of you. Three or right. men is assembled wall, and they stand the wall up, and then they attach it to the frame that they've just built. They didn't, they didn't, uh, they just built this wall, but without the assembly of the wall being attached to the roof, to the floor, and any other parts of the house, the, wall, the walls were then dividing. All of that's an assembly that people have been doing for hundreds of years, and now you need a license to be a contractor. I don't see why. I don't understand why. We didn't have any contractors when we built our house. People from the people from the area, from the community, came over when they was out of work with, the, with their hammer and their nails and their little sacks on the side and helped us build our house. A month's time, we had our house up. We, we had an eight-room house up and uh, without bank financing. We don't need these well, people. Well, listen, that, that's why I play the, 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 I mean, the Nine Friends uh, audio because Essentially, you know, they those uh you know, the guy whose next door neighbor, uh, who just happened to be Mexicans, um they essentially used the uh assembly method. I mean, they didn't build it from the ground up, but they renovated it, uh you essentially using the assembly method. You know, um right. teamwork. So that it in yeah. uh breakdown now, for well, let's step it up, because I like the way you put it. Like the city of Detroit is essentially an assembly town because they actually yeah. do not manufacture cars, which most no. people. And I thought this. I started until we had that conversation Friday. They don't. They don't manufacture cars in Detroit. Break that whole thing down of Detroit actually being a, a an assembly city. And not a manufacturing city. Yeah, it's an assembly city. It's not a manufacturing city. Any place that cars are, are, are simple, it becomes a uh, assembly city. Uh, we, we've got an assembly plant, and that's what they call it right here on 130th Street. Assembly plant for Ford Motor Company. They assemble the parts that's produced that I used to haul into Ford. They assemble parts that's produced by another smaller company. That's the steering wheel, the wheels that goes on the car, the paint that paint the car, the fenders, the radios, the radio knobs. There are places that actually make nothing but radio knobs. They make or manufacture whichever name you want to put on it, the knobs, the radios that go in the cars. Now, if you want to take that, take it a notch further, what about the map? that we used to, or Atlas that we used to use. Atlas is made, that map, that map was made in paper. Paper was made out of wood. That was an assembly. And we've gotten bogged down in manufacturing so far and miseducated, we don't know where we are. Now we well, got a GPS. Right, because I'm looking at, we're particularly in Western countries, and let's say the United States where we are, we're, we've been just indoctrinated in the cons- buying part, the end product part. Because, I mean, because essentially, we can go to the same companies that General Motors has gone to afford, 
And uh, or people do it in part if they go. I mean, I know people that are member of like uh, electric vehicle or, uh, clubs, and what they do is not all the members, but they, they all these electric vehicle clubs is they build their own, they assemble their own yep. automobile. They'll go to a yep. junkyard. They'll go to a junkyard and buy you know somebody you know that's gotten into car accident. They'll buy the frame for maybe five hundred bucks or even a hundred dollars. Yeah. And then they'll go to the AutoZone or Pep Boys or whoever, or go online and they'll they'll go to people who, like you just said, somebody actually makes the mirrors or yeah. the tires or the solar panels or whatever component parts they need. And then as they get the part, they are Assemble it into the car yes. that they want. Yeah, let's go back. Let's go back away before. Let's go back away before we had uh, uh, tubeless tires. Tubeless tires was a big issue at one point back in the fifties. You, you know, you had you bought a tire, you had to buy an inner tube for it. Well, people that was making a tire didn't make the inner tube. We didn't pay it any attention, but they didn't. They wasn't making the tubes that held the air, keep the tire, to, to put in the tire, to inflate the tire the way you could drive the car. That was an mm-hmm. assembly. Now, let's look at a smaller part of the assembly that went into uh, putting pressure in the in, uh, in the tire. The thing that little spout that they call. Uh, where you put the air in, yeah. that was made. That that uh, that was made by somebody else. It wasn't made by the people that made the the uh, inner tube. No, that was three factories right there that was doing different jobs to put the tire one tire on a car. The tire manufacturer, the uh, stems manufactured for the tube, and the tube. As three, they assemble the they assemble the wheel as to where now you can put it on your car when you got a lug bolt, lug nut, and put it on the car the way you can drive it. How many factors of uh, people was involved in the production to where you can purchase the car and the tires and the wheels to drive the car? They are. Everybody had a part in assembly tire system in America. The bad and conquer system in America taught us how to do nothing but be dependent on somebody else. That's what mm-hmm. happened. That's that's one of the things that happened to a black nation of people in America. In America, you were talking about land land grab moments ago. I've had some land grab from me. But let's look at this. Uh, the land, the biggest land grab that I can see is when America was invaded. The largest holocaust that I have been able to find is when the people that was here in America, in this country, was killed down to the point to where they 
was able to they was the the forces by force was able to scare these people into submission to where they would do what they were told. Then what happened on top of that, the system of of, of being of being uh organized, then they brought us African from Africa to America and we in the scare tactics had us to work for nothing for four five hundred years. Assemble for them. Thousands of people lost their lives to keep us enslaved. We get back to this, this gun thing. Guns was made for survivors to hunt animals. That's what guns was made for. But that scare tactic, they would hang a person so they would be a public display so that you would not attempt to build your own assembly because you figured he won't let quit he. I don't know he because I don't know if anybody can stop me from doing what I do unless they do kill me. That's who I know he is. He will do it until somebody kills him. And to be a grabber, no, I think it's enough man as you have stated to where everybody can go to a unincorporated these are laws that's passed. An unincorporated area. It be your own town, your school. Like we're talking about building a, a one-room schoolhouse. That's one of the first things to build, to educate our people about assembly. We've talked about that. I think I brought that on to the uh, conversation one day when you we were talking about Jane House. It's a one-room schoolhouse. Like the lady had done here in Chicago. She started off. So, yeah, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Marvin Collins, and we've had Marvin her come on several times. Uh, essentially, yeah. she had a one-room schoolhouse, and uh, although they didn't um, – one of the takeaways from the Marvin Collins story is, which, which I take away, which you, you uh, enlighten us to, is essentially open up one-room schoolhouse. And that that's yeah. the industry in itself. And matter of fact, everybody who's listening to this podcast has an industry within that. Because it's essentially, you know, you take something and you produce it, and like say, you you look at the component parts. It, it could yeah. be um, we're, we're doing school building, one room school building. That it, it, you know, like I say, uh, uh, the assembly teams. From how many minutes will it take to put together a wall? Four walls. A wall, let alone four walls. Then, like I so said, we want to get it down to where we can produce eventually one to five buildings a day. You just clicked up. Yes, I clicked up something. It's a human team. Yeah, uh, yes, pleasant. You know what you just clicked on? What okay. did the state say when a person uh, didn't show up to fight? They call it going AWOL. Did we pay any attention to what AWOL was? AWOL says a person don't have to fight. They declined to fight because they're killing people that hadn't did anything to hit them, 
and uh, and uh, Cassius Clay, he he showed us that you don't have to go to war. He was a friend of mine. No, they, and they, what did they call it? He went AWOL. AWOL because he wasn't in the assembly of what they wanted him to assemble. No. Okay, I never looked at it that way. That's what they call AWOL. Well, we'll be, yeah, we'll be, that's A-W-O-L. We're, we're going to be building walls. So we have to look at, because uh, I, I was looking at um, Friday as we talked, this guy who uh, he produces minimum fifty thousand buildings a year. That that's minimum. Yeah. Fifty thousand on the high end, sixty thousand. So that matter of fact, let's break that down right now. Uh, okay. Fifty thousand buildings uh, a year divided by three hundred and sixty-five days. All right. So on average, he produces one hundred and thirty-six buildings a day. So there's twenty-four yeah. hours in the day. So let's divide 136 buildings divided by 24 hours in a day. So he produces 5.6, let's say five, five buildings a day. I'm not going to round it off. Round it off would be six. So he produces five buildings a day. Now, I already know, anybody within the sound of my voice, you can call a carpenter. And, who you know, how long would it take them to build a shed? Now, you're going to get different answers. A lot of them can build it in a day by themselves. Actually, the right word will be assemble because they're going to, they're going to Menards, Lowe's, Home Depot, Lombard. They're going to someplace else to get the component parts. But they can, yeah. you'll hear one day, I can do it on the weekend. Some people will say a week. Now, depending, now, a lot of that depends on if they're going to put in the foundation. If they're going to put in the cement foundation, you know, you got to put a con, you know, you got to dig out the land, this and that. But this guy, his forte is just the building. He's not built, he's not doing the foundation. So with his assembly system, okay, they produce roughly five buildings per hour in a 24 hour day, 50,000 a year. Now, he's got a combination of machines and people, all right? With the machines, that allows him. But you know what? He's only got a staff of nine people. A staff of nine people that help operate the machines and production of five buildings per hour. Well, let's look. Donald Trump's look. father was, was – uh, he used – so what we want to do, because we're not we don't have the machines, is essentially take that nine friends concept and apply it, so, you know, within a within a two to four hour time frame, actually produce a building at one. That's our goal. Start next month. You were saying pleasant. Yeah. What What did we What did we say about the nineteen men and working different shifts? That one time that we well, figured that out. Well, the thing that she brought up was uh, a couple of months ago, we have a staff of, uh, what, 18, 18 people, 18, 19 people. So uh-huh. eight, 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 because it's 24 hours in a day, so you get, you know, that eight, that covers the whole day. Uh, so um, 
you got one eight-hour shift. That team is working on something. The next shift works on something. And we have a dorm. We have a dorm. So no more than eight people are sleeping at a time. Right. So, uh, and when you multiply that by by uh, eight, and you multiply, yeah, you, you got to be twenty-four eight. hours in a day. Yeah. Yes, sir. Right. So next month we're, we're start next month we're starting off with probably two to no more than four people. We, we want to see how fast we can put up our basic structure using a team of let's say four people. Mm-hmm. And then work out work our way up to the eight teams. Eight teams. 18, maybe 19 people tops. Yeah. Um, that's what they call an assembly. Yeah. So we, that That's the system that we're going to be using to... Because I've, I've talked to... Uh, the week before last, I talked to... I met with a carpenter. Um, and he told me what he can do in a day or a weekend. All right, that's just using... It's him... He's a master carpenter, and then he's got a helper. So, um, as a matter of fact, I'm going to call my other one. Because, like I said, we want, um, you know, it, it. you're going to have people that all they do is f- focus on the floors. Another team, the walls, the four walls plus the windows uh, and a door, entry door, and then the roof. So we, yeah. we, we, matter of fact, we'll work that out. We'll we'll sound it out right here on this podcast. Um, and don't forget your installation. That's true. That's like because we're breaking it down. Because you got builders, you got installers, and you got us your assemblers. The distinctions with those people. All right, because like yeah. I was talking with the carpenter, the carpenters can actually assemble. You know the whole building, and then have it shipped yeah. to a location. But yeah. then on the other end, if you don't have a person who's a, a trained installer, because a lot of people get these kits and they don't know how to assemble them. You know they, they right. think we well, you know what I'll save a bunch of money and it. You know I'll just follow them. But a lot of people, a lot of these companies, don't have. Um, Sometimes the instructions are not thorough for a person who's a complete novice. Uh, so installers know how to deal with, you know, how to make this fit. So anyway, we're going to sign all that out here. And then, of course, start putting this, you know, into uh, uh, within a month, actually less than a month from now, we'll be doing this. We'll be doing this within the next two weeks. Two and a half weeks will be doing this. So um, we'll be signing that off because, like I say, you, you um, if you got a portable building, which can be anything you want. For those who want a tiny house, it could be that. If you want a man cave, a she shed, a sewing room, a playhouse, uh, whatever, uh, we're, we're just going to get into the habit of teaching people how to put together a basic structure. Without bank financing. 
and yeah, that's an what it is. Yeah, an assembly line. So, um, is there any announcements, Pleasant, uh, before no. we sign off for the day? No, I don't have any other anything else I'd like to add. I'm just glad that you took notice to uh and the other thing I want you to uh when you get time is to look at the assembly of Excaliburs and what it takes to uh assemble your own automobile by hand when you get when you get time to do that. You know what uh, tomorrow because, we might cover that. We, we matter of fact we're probably going more in the more assembly tomorrow because there's a lot out there. Because, like I said, okay. it's a cottage industry that anybody can develop based on what people like. So uh, yeah. we're going to apply to what we're doing. On that note, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, and everyone have a good rest of the day.